It's very important that you get this. His purpose and his plan has not changed. The Bible says that you were his plan from the foundation of the world. You were his plan. Before he created the world, he decided, I'm going to use people. It's the greatest marketing scheme that you could ever think about. Think about it. I'm going to create a product. I'm not going to market it. I'm not going to use billboards. I'm not going to use television ads. I'm not going to advertise on social media. It's going to be so good that when people try it, they have to share it. That's the marketing plan of the message of Jesus. Here's what the Bible says in John chapter 15, verse 16. This is Jesus. He said this, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Turn to your neighbor and say, he chose you. Turn to the person on the other side and say, he chose me. Turn to somebody behind you and say, he didn't choose you. He chose not playing. Don't say that. Don't, it's not true. He chose you. He chose you. He chose you. And he appointed you. It's two different things. He chose you. And then he appointed you. So he chose you. Hey, I love you. I care for you. I can cover your sins with grace. I can cover your life with mercy. I chose you. And now I've appointed you. Which means you have a job. You are an ambassador of Christ. I've appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. That's weird. Like you want us to plant like trees? Fruit that will last. Not fruit that will rot. I saw a meme this week. Listen, sometimes things just come in my head and then it just comes out. I saw a meme this week about bananas and it said, it said, banana, I'm not ripe yet. Banana, I'm not ripe yet. Banana, I'm not ripe yet. And then it said at 3 a.m. whispering, I'm ripe. At 8 a.m. I'm rotten. Welcome to Brown Town, boy. It's not, it's not that kind of fruit. If it's your first time here, this is normal. I'm the real pastor. It's not an older guy back there like, hurry up, youth pastor, so I can preach. It, it is what it is. I appointed you so that you can go and bear fruit and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So two things I want you to pull from this verse of Scripture. Number one, he chose you. Nobody else might have picked you. You might have been the last one picked at kickball. And if you stunk at kickball, you just think because it's hard to stink at kickball. But it doesn't matter how bad you stunk at kickball and how many friends you didn't have. Your holy God loves you and he chose you even if nobody else chose you, even if everybody else rejected you. He chose you. Two, you're his plan. You are his plan. He wants to use you, not just me. He chose you. He gave you a friend group. He gave you a family that I don't have. I don't have your family. Some of y'all like, thank you. Others of y'all like, you fit right in. I don't have your family. I don't have your friend group. He placed you there and he placed you there on purpose. What's the purpose? To bear fruit. What does that mean? The fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And some of y'all are like, no, 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 and no. All right. No, none. That's because you're not spending enough time with the Spirit. If I want the fruit of the Spirit, I have to spend time with the Spirit. If I want, if I want to be like Jesus, I, have to, I actually have to be around Jesus. And when you have a true, honest, real relationship with Jesus, you have an encounter with Jesus. It changes you. 
I don't want Sundays just to just be checking a box. I'm just going to go to church so that I can say I, I went to church. I want Sundays to be a motivational moment where you get excited, you get fired up, your life gets changed, and then you leave here and you realize I didn't go to church. I am the church, and I carry the church and the gospel message of Jesus Christ with me everywhere I go. It changes you. I had an opportunity a few years ago to be involved in this life-changing decision of two young boys, Badger and Isaac, their mom and dad, uh, Rachel and Bobby Andrade. Rachel leads the Heights Young Life chapter, and she's phenomenal. They're just phenomenal people, and their boys were six and eight, and I had this opportunity to watch them be led to Jesus, and they got so fired up. We baptized them. They were pumped, man. She called me. Rachel called me. She was like, you won't believe these boys. She said, they... They have, they have shared the gospel with all of their stuffed animals. Every stuffed animal in our house is saved. She said, they came running in the other day with a big old cow. They were like, Mama, the cow has decided to follow Jesus. Boom, baptize him in the bathtub. Come on, somebody. It changes you. When you have a real relationship with Jesus, you cannot be the same. Now, what's funny is it's easy when you're a kid, right? Like, just you don't care what anybody thinks. And then you get to junior high, and you're like... And then it starts... What's funny is junior high kind of never quits. Peer pressure and worrying about what other people think. And it's a little bit harder then to bear fruit because I'm worried about what people will think. And, and I'm just a little bit concerned. I, I remember I was homeschooled for five years. All right, one homeschooler. She was like, well, you and me, the only weird ones here. All right. Anybody homeschool? Where the homeschool kids at? All right. Stop, not too loud. Not too loud. Whoa, case bell. Whoa, but I can say it. Whoa. My report card was on a napkin. Come on, somebody. Homeschool. <laughs> oh, homeschool. Then I went into public school in the 10th grade. I went into public school. My dad told me, he's like, there's two ways. He actually preached it to me. He said, son, there's two ways you can go into public school. You can go in and go along to get along. Or you can go in and make a difference for Jesus Christ. And if you're going to stay in my house, you're going to make a difference for Jesus Christ. I was like, I'm going to do that one. I'll do that one. So I went in and I prayed every day for the first three months of 10th grade. I prayed, God, let me make a difference in somebody's life today. Because here's what I know. I'm called to make a difference. And you're called to make a difference. But I didn't want to be one of those weird kids who carried a family Bible. And it's like, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. All of you are going to hell. <laughs> God's laughing at you. I didn't want to be weird. So I just tried to go in and bear fruit and show the love of Christ and be kind and not like, like, bless you, brother, like getting weird. So I remember one day I was standing in the lunch line. Y'all remember the lunch line? Remember back in the day? You kids nowadays, y'all don't even know. Back in the day, back in the day, that was, that was, that was when we didn't know what we were eating. It was lunch lady surprise. Come on, somebody. Until it was pizza day. Y'all remember pizza day? The rectangle pieces of pizza. Y'all remember those? I think they got them all from the same place. It was just cardboard with cheese sauce and like marinara, and they called it food. It had no nutritional value but pizza day. And they would put, remember, they would put that saran wrap over it, and then they'd take the saran wrap off. You're like, oh, mmm. It's pizza day. I'm standing in line, and I heard a commotion behind me. There's some guys breaking in line. I'm like, dude, they're really fired up to get pizza. And then they tried to break in front of me, and I was just, you know, come from a cowboy family. I'm like, no, bro, you got to wait your turn. So I put my hand on that, remember that metal rack that you push a tray down? So I just, I just grabbed a hold of the metal rack, and they pushed, and they pushed, and then I just kind of popped them off my arm. I was like, what up, sucker? And that was cool until the guy hit me, and he hit me twice right here in the back of the head. And it didn't really hurt that bad because I was used to getting hit harder than that by my brothers and stuff. And I was by my brother and my cousin and stuff, and I was like, oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You're fixing me on, bro. I'm going, I'm going to turn around, I'm going to slap him with a backhand, and I'm going to uppercut, knock him out, grab a pizza, 
and run and hide. So I'm going to commit violence and steal and then pray all the way to a closet somewhere. And it was like I heard God say, now's your chance. I was like, nope, not right now. In just a minute, I'm going to need you. I'm going to need the spirit of God in a minute. Right now, I need the spirit of Jackie Chan. Let's go. And I kind of argued with God, but, but I realized this is an opportunity. I didn't know what to say. True story. had no idea what to say. So I just turned around and said the only thing I could think of. It, literally in the moment, it all happened in a split second. I turned around and I pointed right in his face. And then I found his face. And I just said, do you know Jesus? It was the perfect thing. Like anything else that I could, like, what are you doing, bro? Boom, I got knocked out. Like, what you trying to do? Boom, I got knocked out. You know Jesus? He was like, what? And he backed up. And when he backed up, I was like, oh, I got you now. He's like, do you know Jesus? He was like, what are you talking about? I was like, I'm going to be praying for you. I'm not. Now moving forward, I'm going to be praying for you, bro, because God's got a call on your life. You don't need to be acting like this. His friends died laughing. His name was Pete. They were like, ah, he's busting you up with Jesus, Pete. Ah. He was like, turn around. I was like, I'll turn around, but I'm going to be praying for you. He's like, turn around. I was like. I turned around. What was amazing is God, through that moment, gave me a friendship with Pete. We became friends. I prayed with him. And I got a nickname out of it. They started calling me Jesus. <laughs> you laugh. It's a pretty awesome nickname. People are like, what up, G? Zus. Ah! I just embraced it. I grew a beard, wore a robe. It was like, bless you, my child. It's weird. <laughs> I'm playing. I didn't do that. But, but I did realize that God was using me to be the only Jesus that many of them would see. And I didn't get weird. I just tried to share the love of Jesus. And I didn't see any fruit. 10th grade, 11th grade. But my 12th grade year, I personally was able to baptize more than 30 of my friends. And see many of them come to Jesus Christ. I promise you, if you plant the seeds, God will bring the harvest. You are called to bear fruit. If you have friends, you have a responsibility. If you have family, you have a responsibility. Can I tell you something? It's not my job to reach your friends. Sure's. If you're in relationship with them, it's your job. If you come into contact with them, it's your responsibility. I said this last weekend and I mean it to the core of my existence. If you had the cure for cancer and did not share it, it would be criminal. You have the cure to hopelessness. You have the cure for salvation. It is our responsibility to share it. I'm I didn't become a pastor to get friends. My sermons should at some point make you feel uncomfortable. If they don't, I'm probably not in this book. Listen, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. It can't be about me. The challenge with so many of us is we made it all about me, all about God blessing me, all about my life. My pastor says it. He says it best. He said it when he came here. If God answered all of your prayers, would anybody else's life be blessed? I can't just live for me. If I don't get me out of the way, I'll never see him. And I'll never do what he's called me to do. And it's reach other people can't be about me. I love our church, y'all. I love our church. I love all of our campuses. I love the wild, crazy lights. I like the smoke. I like the crazy people. I like the Jason over here on guitar acting like he's just crazy, just dancing around. But there are people who are like, well, I don't know about all that. 
That guitarist looks like he's got ants in his pants. I don't understand. I don't know if y'all saw Nisi crushing it on the drums today. She's up there just rocking, just crushing it on the drums. And Richie, oh, God bless Richie. Richie starts singing and interrupts your worship. You're like, wait, what? Is that an angel? Richie's, it's a white Luther. <laughs> Martha, who is Luther? Don't worry about it, bro. All good. Love our church. And if you come here and you're north of the age of 50, thank you. Because I know you don't love everything. I know you don't. I know you don't like it all. Like the lights are you're like, mm, ha, ha. <laughs> but I'm okay with that. Because if you're here and you're north, in fact, would you give all of them a great big hand north of the age of 50? I'm not saying... I'm not saying you're old. I'm just saying it may not be your style. Here's the truth. It ain't always my style either. I was raised gospel and southern gospel. We had a choir. Y'all don't even know. We didn't clap our hands like this. We clapped our hands like this. When we danced, we didn't dance like this. We danced like this. One hand behind your back, like this right here. And then we had three white guys to get up and sing Southern Gospel songs. I was like, thank you. So I love that. We don't do that here. We are going to have a 150 voice choir for Easter, though. And I'm fired up about it. They're going to have robes and everything. It's going to be on. But I don't, do, I don't do this for me. Guess what? I don't, I don't even do it for you that are believers. I am way more interested in reaching people than keeping people. And I want you to keep coming here. But the hope that I have is that we'll reach somebody. I get hit every week, most of the time, every day on social media. Somebody scorching me. Well, preaching clip goes up. Somebody, some dude, <laughs> some dude yesterday put on there and said, is this a sermon or stand-up comedy? I just put yes. Because <laughs> I ain't trying to impress that brother. God bless him and I want him to be saved. I looked on his page. I stalked him a little bit. He's a believer. We're good. I'm not trying to reach him. I'm trying to reach the lost. And I'm going to rightly divide the word of truth. And I'm going to preach the gospel. But God made me an idiot. So I'm just going to be who I am and try to reach the lost. That's what we are here for. We are not here for us. We are here to reach the lost. Every weekend we preach the gospel. And this weekend we cross the threshold. And now in four years, Hope City has seen more than 27,000 people give their lives to Jesus. It can't be. It can't be. It can't be about me. Because if it's all about me, I'll miss him. If I don't get me out of the way, I can't see what he wants me to do. This is Holy Week. This begins Holy Week. Palm Sunday kind of signifies a triumphal entry on Monday. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a colt. How did they miss him? So many signs pointed to this is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. But somehow they missed him. Somehow they missed him. And thankfully, it wasn't the entire Jewish community that missed him. He was reaching for them. And I'm grateful that the disciples and the followers of Jesus caught it. And they shared it. And they spread it to the Gentiles. And now, here it is 2,000 years later, still just spread like wildfire. I'm grateful for that. But the vast majority of the people that he's reaching for missed him. And he wanted to reach them. 
The Bible says that he stood on the hills outside of Jerusalem and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets. How often have I wanted to bring you to me, but you wouldn't. He desires not just a reaction. He desires a relationship. But you have to make sure that you're not missing what he's calling you to do. Not missing that he's reaching specifically for you. He rides in. And on Monday when he rides in, that is Lamb Selection Day of Passover week. See, Holy Week is a, is a kind of a, a thing that we celebrate in Christianity. The Jewish holiday there was Passover. And they, and they celebrated, and it was a feast, they celebrated what God had done in delivering them from, from Egypt whenever the death angel passed over the houses that had the, the, the blood of a lamb on their doorposts, and they would bring a lamb to sacrifice. Holy Week. That's what we re re represent as Holy Week. They represented a Passover. Monday's Lamb Selection Day, and that's the day that Jesus comes riding in. It's the Father saying, here's the Lamb. For four days, they would, they would look over, they would inspect these lambs. And for four days, they inspected Jesus. He went through six trials, three Jewish trials and three Roman trials. And he was found spotless, a lamb without blemish. And he was crucified on the same day that the lambs were sacrificed. How could they miss it? Everything, if you've ever done the Seder, if you've ever done the Passover, if you've ever, you ever have done that, it's unbelievable. Everything in it points to Jesus. But somehow, they missed it. How? Because it was so easy to get wrapped up in the pomp and the circumstance and the tradition, doing what we do for God, that we missed what God was trying to do in us, through us. And the same thing is true of the American church. The problem with the American church is we look a lot like... Americans and not Christians. Our job is to spread the love and the joy and the mercy and the grace of a holy God. But if we're not careful, we get so wrapped up in us that we forget it's not about us. I love the blessings of God, but I don't live for the blessings of God. The blessings of God are a bonus. My life is lived to glorify God and to fulfill his purpose on earth. And his purpose for me on earth is to spread the message of Jesus. And it's not just because I'm a preacher. It's your purpose as well. Well, you don't understand all the mistakes I've made. Oh, even more, the better. He loves using mess-ups. Read the scriptures. Most of the people that he used in the Bible were radically flawed. And God used them. In fact, that encourages me. When God uses somebody, I'm like, I wouldn't even use that guy. God's like, oh, yeah, he's a disciple. Oh, well, okay. Shows how much I know. Grace is not a human idea. It's a God idea. And aren't you grateful that it is a God idea? But if we're not careful, we'll miss what he's trying to do in our lives. We'll miss what he's trying to do in his purpose. Matthew 28, 19, we find his purposes. Therefore, go. Everybody say go. Everybody say go. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's go. This is important. This word is important because you're going to hear it in your life. You're going to hear it when you run into somebody. God's going to say, go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. But I don't know if I can reach out. I don't know if I can share the gospel with somebody. I don't know if I can do what God has called me to do. He gives you the key right there. He says, I am with you. He's going to be with you. This whole sermon is designed to get you to bring somebody next weekend. Are you serious? Like you developed a whole sermon around getting us to bring somebody with us to Easter? Nope. I developed two of them last weekend and this weekend. 
because it's your purpose to be patient zero. Now, I want you to share the gospel. I want you to share your testimony. But I also want you to bring somebody to church. I don't just want a crowd at the Berry Center. If they won't come to the Berry Center, they won't come to Hope City. Bring them somewhere that preaches Jesus. It's not about my kingdom. It's about his kingdom. There's only one king, and his name is Jesus, and he sits on a throne, and I'm grateful for that. Well, how do I do this? How do I fulfill the Great Commission? I'm going to give you three things. Number one, you have to spend time with God. you got to spend time with God. You have to spend time with God. I can't share God if I don't spend time with God. I can spend time with And when I spend time with God, I'll start loving the things that God loves. I'm just not a patient person. Spend time with God. I'm just, I just have a hard time. Spend time with God. And when I spend time with God, I will find the fruit of the Spirit coming out in my life. But you don't understand. I live off of 290, and it's really difficult. Okay, you get a pass. No fruit for you. It's okay. It's okay. I'm playing. I'm kidding. You got to share. Spend time with God. Number two. Number two. Spend time with other believers. Come to church. Prioritize church. Prioritize getting in a group. I'm grateful that Hope City has a crowd at our churches, at our services, at our campuses every weekend because we prioritize being in the presence of God. The New Testament says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. I think church online is good, but I think you ought to get in a church. Maybe you're in Indiana or maybe you're in Africa and you're watching us right now. Make sure you don't just watch us go get in a church somewhere. Get around a body of believers that can encourage you. If you don't have a group, start a group. We got, we got groups that meet all over, all over the nation. Hope City groups that meet. Watch parties. They get together. They watch. They share. They serve. Get in a group. And the third thing, you got to spend time with non-believers. You got to spend time with non-believers. Like, I can't reach my target market if I don't ever hang out with them. This week, you're going you're gonna to spend some time with some non-believers at your job, at Starbucks. You're going to have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, to invite somebody to church. The challenge is we've been given everything we need to reach other people. You've been given everything. You have the gift of communication. You can talk. You have people grouped around you. You can share the gospel. You've got people that you can share the love of Jesus with. You've got every tool that you need. The challenge is sometimes we just, we just don't use it the right way. I want Shatah to come out here. Y'all give Shatah a great big hand. He's going to come out here and help me real quick with something. My man. Thank you, brother. Anybody a uh, Star Wars fan? All right, nerds, unite. You've been given every tool that you need. The problem is sometimes instead of using them to fight for the kingdom, we use them to fight with one another. And we fight our friends, and we fight our spouses, and we fight our kids, and we fight everybody around. I just if you would just if you would apologize to me, then I'll apologize to you. If you'll forgive me, then I'll forgive you, but I'm not going first. If you'll take a picture and post it on Instagram of us, then I will actually like your pictures. Sometimes, sometimes I like your pictures, and then I unlike them because I want you to know that I unlike them. By the way. Okay, cool. I'm just sick of the way you act. I'm tired of the way you treat me. I'm tired of it, and I'm just not going to. I'm just so sick of it. I'm tired of traffic. I just can't let the love of God show in me in traffic because people are stupid and I'm just so done with it. I'm so tired. I will cuss people out in the parking lot of Hope City. We see you. Some of y'all shooting the bird at people coming into church. I'm like, I hope y'all end up sitting next to each other because all you do is just ah, this. 
all the time. Here's what's crazy. Some of y'all fight people you don't even know. I'm just going to go on Instagram and I'm going to fight people and I'm going to say ridiculous things and show how low my IQ is by arguing dumb points with people I don't even know when you could be sharing the love and the grace and the message of Jesus Christ everywhere. But we don't use the gifts that you've been given to share Christ. Here's what happens when you get in this culture of constantly fighting. Before too long, you begin to fight the Holy Spirit. And he begins to convict you that you ought to reach somebody. You say, I don't feel like it. I just, I don't feel like it. And he says, we don't walk by feelings. We walk by faith. And if you trust me, I'll give you the strength to do it. I just don't feel like it. I just don't want to do it. I don't, why do we have to go to the Barry Center? Why can't we just be here? I think I'm just going to come in the parking lot and I'm just going to watch it online. Just so I don't have to deal with anything. And what you have to understand is the Holy Spirit's not fighting you. He's trying to dodge you so that he can actually get in position and be around behind you to protect you. And if you would get in position and you would start fighting the way you're supposed to fight back to back with your brothers and your sisters, we can take territory for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Get in position. God has called you to do greater things than you realize. Come on, shout in the God with a voice. You are called to do more. My hope is to shake you this week, to cause you to realize there's somebody who desperately needs you to invite them. According to Barna Research, and you guys know I don't sling statistics, but according to Barna Research, about 75% of the people that you invite for Easter weekend will come if you'll invite them. They're waiting on you. Invite them. Make it easy. I've been doing nothing but that everywhere I go. I got servers coming. I got servers here. This service that I was with Friday night. I was like, hey, come. I'll reserve you seats. They're here. Give them a hand. Glad you guys are here. They said, I can't come on Easter. I said, come this weekend. Just come this weekend. I'll give you a shout out. Shout out. I got people on Instagram like, man, I really wish I could come. We just live so far away. I was like, hashtag road trip. I got four couples driving in next weekend. They don't even live in this state, and they're driving in just to come to Hope City. Why? I'm just desperate to see people's lives radically changed. Aren't you grateful somebody reached you? There's a guy named Ananias in the book of Acts, and when you talk about Ananias, you have to talk about Stephen. Ananias did something radical in the kingdom of God. Stephen did something radical before Ananias, but they worked together, didn't even know they were working together. Stephen is the very first recorded martyr in the scripture. He died for the message of Jesus Christ. He died. And somebody talked bad about you on Instagram. And somebody might get nervous if you share Christ. He died. He was brought before the Sanhedrin council falsely accused they found him guilty they drug him outside of the northern gate of jerusalem and stoned him to death but while they stoned him he could have used all of the tools to fight them but he didn't while they stoned him he preached the gospel to his murderers while they were killing him he preached the love of jesus how powerful is that here's what's crazy Acts chapter 7, it tells us who was in attendance. It says this, Acts chapter 7, verse 58. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
Saul, expertly trained in the law, he's a Pharisee of the highest order, trained by Rabbi Gamaliel, he's just a powerhouse, very educated, and appointed to crush the rebellion of Christianity. This Jesus thing has got to stop, and Saul's the one to do it. It's highly possible that he's the one who incited the whole thing against Stephen, because the witnesses lay their coats at his feet. But then Saul has a moment. He has this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus that literally knocks him off of his horse and blinds him, and he cries out, Who are you, Lord? Because God doesn't ask you to save them. That's his job. And when somebody has an encounter with Jesus, not even you can take it away. He says, who are you, Lord? And God says, I am Jesus whom thou persecute. He's like, "Uh uh-oh, wrong thing. And he goes to the house of a man named Judas. While he's there, God speaks to Ananias. We pick the story up in Acts chapter 9, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias. That's you. Come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's questioning. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm like, ah, maybe there's somebody else. Maybe you could pick one of the twelve. How about Mark? John is available. He says, he's come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said, go. That's your commission. Hush. Stop making excuses. Now is the time. I've got a plan for his life and I'm going to put him before kings. And Ananias all of his fear, all of his concern about dying, all of his concern that this was a trap and this was a setup to expose Christians and Saul was faking Christianity. Saul was faking conversion so that he could get people to come out and say, I'm a Christian, that he could kill him. He went and had a radical transforming moment with Saul. And he began to disciple Saul. And Saul became Paul and wrote half the New Testament. So here's the question. Who's more important, Saul or uh, Ananias or Paul? And the answer is yes. Both of them. Some of you are called to be an Ananias. And some of you are called to be a Paul. But none of you are not called. All of you are called to share the life-giving message of hope in Christ. That's what next weekend is all about. The whole thing is designed. We've got amazing stories we're going to tell. Incredible videos. I want to be as funny as I've ever been. I'm working hard on the jokes right now. I want to be doctrinally accurate. I'm going to preach the word. And all of it is designed for about the last seven minutes where we share the gospel. All of it is designed to get people to a place where they open their hearts and let Jesus change their lives. I'm asking you. Share it with somebody this week. Share it on Instagram, on Facebook, on Snapchat, really chat, whatever you got to do. Take invite cards, share them with everybody. Talk to servers, talk to your coworkers, talk to your family.
So I say, no, I can't be there. Tell them, cancel your plans. If you can't be there, cancel your plans. It's that important. I'm not trying to build a crowd. I'm no interest in building a crowd. I've never set an Easter record. We believe we're going to have I've never said that ever, not once. That's not the goal. The goal is to see people saved. But we must do our part to get them there. Aren't you glad somebody reached you? I got a letter a couple of years ago of a lady that somebody reached. She said, my mother was a single mom. Life wasn't easy growing up, but we loved one another dearly. She worked like a dog with only an eighth grade education to support four little girls and never got any child support. I knew that my mom loved me and she did the best that she knew how. But there were always habits and addictions lurking in her life that continually knocked her off course. At the age of 11, my little world fell apart. My mother divorced her third husband, which was my first stepdad. The only one I'd known. My biological father had left when I was little and we left and we moved to Oklahoma. I was heartbroken and devastated. I was starting to realize the life that was normal to me wasn't really normal at all. My mother's behaviors and habits were wildly out of control. I resented everything. I felt like I was leaving my daddy because he was the only man in my life that I'd ever called daddy. My biological father had been gone a long time, and now another daddy was leaving. When we got to Oklahoma, my grandmother began taking me to her church, and I'd never felt anything like this. It was life-changing. I remember walking down that long aisle, kneeling down at the front and giving my heart to Jesus. It was a profound moment of real revelation and realization in my life that there really was a love that wouldn't leave. And that's the moment that God truly became my father. It was like I was baptized with a spirit of determination that no matter what happened, I was going to stay with Jesus. Little did I know how much I would need that determination and the protecting hand of my new father. I lived through verbal, mental, physical, and emotional abuse constantly. Somehow my conversion to Christ had caused my mother to feel guilty. It was hard for her to take that I had found a real love and the abuse got worse. My mother married again and in that marriage we became a blended family and I acquired two stepbrothers. The marriage didn't last long but during that time I was able to lead my two stepbrothers to Christ. After a year and a half the relationship dissolved. Mother started taking large doses of prescription drugs and became very abusive. I know what it is to have my own mother hold a loaded 45 against my temple and scream I'm going to blow your brains out. It was the drugs talking. I knew she loved me, but it was a horrible thing for an eighth grader to go through. I remember running next door to a neighbor's house in tears, and I shook as they called the police. A judge committed my mother to a state hospital for six months. My sisters and I lived with my grandmother, and that was some of the greatest moments of my childhood because grandmother took us to church, and I felt the love of God so strongly. But when mom got out of the institution, we went back to live with her. And she was angry and bitter and slipped right back into the drug habit. And there were different men coming in and out of our home every week. When I was a sophomore in high school, she met another man and built a relationship with him. We knew that he'd been in prison, but we didn't know what for. Later, we found out he'd been convicted of rape and gone to prison for it. My mother didn't know this and would leave us alone at the house for hours with him. For some reason, we always had the strongest urge to get out of the house. Now I know it was my new father protecting me. She finally kicked him out and moved on to husband number six, but he couldn't handle the lifestyle of drugs and drinking and partying and abuse. She'd grab me by the hair of my head and knock me into door facings, sling me into the coffee table, screaming and cussing. I struggled not to believe the things she would say about me. Spankings were beatings. She could backhand you quicker than you could blink, but through it all, I knew God had a purpose in my life. I was so desperate for God 
that I'd ride to church with anyone who would take me. Oftentimes riding in the back of a pickup truck for 30 miles just to get into the presence of God. I remember a few times my mother would come into church high on drugs and scream at us in front of everyone to get up and leave. At the age of 16, I was so embarrassed and in a moment of anger, finally threw up my hands and told my mother, that's it, I'm quitting church. My mother stopped and looked at me through the tears in her eyes and the soft voice, she said, no, you won't quit going to church. I'm miserable and you don't want to turn out like me. After I graduated from high school, my mother married husbands seven, eight, and nine. But my life has taken a different path. And when I walked into Hope City for the first time, I felt that same presence of God that I felt as an 11-year-old girl desperate for love and acceptance. Thank you for providing a place where people can find healing, hope, and happiness. My story has a happy ending. A year and a half before my mama died, with tears in her eyes, I was able to take her hand and lead her to Jesus. And I thank God every day for churches like Hope City who reach hurting people. It was because of a church like this that an 11-year-old girl gave her heart to Christ. And I've never looked back. Keep doing what you're doing. It's saving lives. The reason this letter affects me so much is because my mama wrote it after the first time she came to our church. And this is my mama's story. You never know where somebody came from. I don't know who that man was, who that family was that would drive 30 miles to pick my mama up. But I'm so grateful that they did because of what they did. I'm standing here. God, please help us to have a holy discomfort to remember we are not a social club. We are a soul-saving station. We are a lighthouse called to bring change to a hurting world. Right now, God, every person under the sound of my voice, I pray that you'd help us trust you would you stand with me all across this room God I pray that you'd help us and trust you that you've designed us to share the gospel we don't have to be perfect we, you don't even require us to be great examples to share the gospel you just ask us to go so I pray that this week we would go, that we would share it on social media, that we would share it in conversations, that we'd share it with people we know, and we'd share it with people we don't know, and that we would see radical life change happen. God, I'm praying for next weekend. Every church, every church worldwide, I pray for pastors. I pray that you would give them the gift of communication. I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray for services. I pray that they would glorify you. God, and I pray that you would draw people to you and let us see an awakening, the likes that our world has never seen. Bless every pastor in the city of Houston. Strengthen their hearts. Bless every church in our city. God, let a revival begin in the city of Houston. Shake us and help us to do what you called us to do. And now I pray for every person in here who's lost nobody looking around just a moment between you and Jesus maybe that's your story maybe you're broken maybe you're alone maybe you're at the end of your road maybe you're saying how could Jesus love me I have such great news for you man he 
loves you. You can't go too far where he can't find you. He loves you, cares for you, he's got a plan for you. But you've got to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. God raised him from the dead. My Bible says when you acknowledge him, he will acknowledge you. Here's the gospel. You're a sinner. And you can't save yourself. But you have a holy God who sent his one and only son to die on a cross, but not to stay there, to go to a tomb, but not to stay there, to rise again on the third day so you can have hope. And hope is yours if you want it. Nobody looking around, but if you know, that's me. I need to prioritize Jesus at the center of my life. I'm getting ready to pray. If you want to be included in that prayer, you say, that's me. Boom, put your hand up. Just raise them all over the room, all over the room. Thank you. Hands, hands, hands everywhere. Every voice, would you pray this with me right now, out loud, boldly. Jesus, you're the only one who can save me. So I'm asking you right now, in this moment, to save me. Forgive me of my sins. I declare that you are Lord. I declare that you rose from the grave to give me hope and a future. So right now, I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give him an ovation.